All right, let me just say this before Brett does whatever he's doing. I had told uh, Zach, I said, you know, Zach, I'm going to just kind of open up and say thanks to the folks who come. And then uh, you take the message. And we were having a staff meeting, and uh, we were just going to go home and have a dinner. And uh, Brett said, you know, why don't you do a message tonight? And I, I thought, all right. And I come in, I'm like, you. <laughs> so uh, what else are you going to do to me, Brett? So, You, all right. Well, let's sit down then and see what's going on, I guess. Is that? Hay mucho del gobierno no... Hay mucho del gobierno, 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 del gobierno. Hay mucho del gobierno. Why is it? Should have scotch. <laughs> All right, good. Now I'm ready. Hay mucho del gobierno. Mucho del gobierno. Uh, I know, I know. I know. Hay mucho del gobierno que no... I almost said that. Hay mucho del funcio. <laughs> Shut up. I'm worthless. Hey, man. What's the point of all this? Why are you running? Uh, you know what? I really don't care. del gobierno que no funciona, pero también una gran cantidad que hace bien. I guess that was the blooper reel. Oh. Did Sam do that? Ryan. Oh. I I uh, I don't even know what to do right now. So. Well, first of all, just to let all of you know, um, there's 53,000 unvoted, uh, uncounted votes. Uh, it is going to come down to the minuscule of of margins. Um, God didn't take it up with me when he was writing this script. And, uh, and it's a real test of faith. But I remember when I entered into the race, um, it was strange that the verse he gave me was Job 13, 15. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I didn't understand it at the time. I really do now. <laughs> but his question to my heart was, will you still trust me? And um, 
I knew I never entered into this race because I needed to be somebody. We entered into the race because we wanted to change things. And, um, you know, you go through the process and you feel wholly inadequate. But then you also sense his strength. And I can testify in 50 years of living and in over 20 years of ministry, I've never sensed the Lord's presence more than I have in this campaign. Um, I'm, I'm undone uh, in joy. And I, I, wanted, I, I brought a couple of emails I received, and one in particular from Jonathan Block that encapsulates um, the strength of what occurred in, in and through our lives together. He, he repeats a verse that I've often quoted out of 2 Samuel 23, 11, which is when God gave me the original verse for the bean patch. It's a story of David's mighty men, and Shema was one of the guys, and he was called to protect a lentil field from the Philistines. Lentils are worthless crop. You put them in a jar, they look like a jar of beans. And so the picture God gave me is Ventura is our bean patch. No Philistines are getting in. And I had shared that a couple of times at a national day of prayer when we had a gathering out at the Civic Arts Plaza and a man by the name of John Anderson came up and a couple other fellas came up and said, we believe this, we want to do it. So the goal was to run one person for the school board. And I wanted to do that with John. And if we could prove the model worked because of the 60 elected school board members of the Conejo Valley Unified School District only three in the, in the history of the school board, only three have not been endorsed by the California Teachers Association. Now, the California Teachers Association and the SEIU are the two largest unions, public unions in California, and they represent two-thirds of all political donations that have come into the state. Over $300 million in the last 10 years, and it's gone to one party, the Democrat Party. And as a result, they dominate local elections, statewide elections, and so when you run without the endorsement of the CTA, you're a penny looking for change. And John had run a couple of races and had lost, and he was willing to do it again. And in the course of us putting it together, that's when Shannon called me and asked me to consider running for the assembly because Jeff had vacated it, and that wasn't even on my radar. I thought, well, that's a big bean patch. It is Ventura County. Let's do it. And Michelle and I prayed for about, I don't know, five weeks, honey, four or five weeks, something like that. And uh, we had his peace. And, uh, you know, we, we had to face the narrative that Republican Party wrote against us in the primary. And then we had to face the narrative that the Democrat Party uh, put against us. And, and we're still neck and neck, which is miraculous, having no one ever having run for office, no name recognition, nothing along those lines. That is not because I'm a spectacular candidate. That's because... I'm supported by spectacular people. Okay. I, I have the pulpit and you shall remain silent. Order, order. But the beauty of it is, though, we're still in this race, and it's not going to be decided for three weeks. And one of the things is I was invited to go to Poland uh, with Governor Huckabee on uh, the, uh, the Thatcher, Reagan, Pope John Paul tour, which is the same picture of what we're doing here uh, to inspire this idea of liberty and freedom throughout the world. And, and these were, you know, people of history that 
influenced my life and now I get to walk in their footsteps. And I was invited to go on this trip and I knew I wouldn't be able to make it if I was elected to the assembly because I would have to be today in Sacramento and I'm supposed to leave on the 11th for Poland. And Michelle was going to go alone. So I conceded to Jackie last night at about two in the morning and Tim Hurt, you know, tried to make it as though I wasn't kind enough. I didn't want to wake her up. I figured she was sleeping. And I conceded via text to just tell her congratulations and so that she could go to the process and get to Sacramento and start going through it. But as we see 53,000 votes still tallied and people are counting them and, you know, it looks, there's a, there's a chance. I mean, not a huge chance, but there's a chance. So if it turns out that, that we win, I will have had the opportunity to go to Poland and I can still go to Sacramento and enjoy all of that. So I'm looking for the silver lining in all these things, trust me. But I do want to say this, that um, John Anderson won the school board seat. The model works. The model works. And we will continue to apply it. We have our heat shields being tested. We have gone through every test imaginable that election can face. And we're still standing. And um, not over. So John, Jonathan Block wrote this. He said, and he quotes the passage of scripture in 2 Samuel 23. He says, there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Rob, forgive me, it's going to be hard to get through these. As I wake up this morning and see the disappointing local election results, I feel compelled to write you a note of congratulations for your successful campaign. Having been privileged to hear your thoughts about defending your bean patch early after God put it on your heart, I know you fully understand that our obligation is merely to stand up. Prepare and be ready to serve God in the manner he asks. The results are up to God. You have much to be pleased about with your campaign. You ran in an honorable way with none of the negativity that seems to preoccupy campaigns these days. You stimulated the church to engage with their neighbors, friends, and community about things that matter. You set an example for the men, women, and children of our church to stand and defend the bean patch. You spent time in living rooms of 150 plus members of our community talking to them and their neighbors about righteousness. Every pastor should envy the access and opportunity you got through the campaign. In the days and months to come, we will, be, we will better see how truly successful your campaign was. I'd like to say our campaign. When we further see its effect on God speak in our community. I suspect there will be much good from it that we will never know this side of heaven. Still, I am quite sure that congratulations are already in order. Thank you for the time, stress, sacrifice, care, energy, tears, prayers, miles, handshakes, hugs, etc. that you and your family put into their, this campaign. Congratulations on a job well done, Jonathan Blanc. Now, he writes that to me, but I want the campaign staff. Um, Ryan, Sean, Sean's been with me since day one. Ryan came down from Sacramento. Uh, Barbara, Rebecca, all the rest of the campaign staff. Would you stand up? Because that's, that's for you. Stand up. Let's go. You know, uh, people say it's fate or opportunity that uh, appoints you into somebody's life. And, um, you know, Ryan took the call to come down um, to be the campaign manager. And that was a risky move because um, Sacramento and the lobbyist community wasn't real thrilled about our race. 
And for a man that this is his career and his life, he came down to take a chance. Though he's going to have some struggles probably going back up to Sacramento, uh, he gave me permission to share that through this campaign, he came to Christ. I said, do you want to share? He said, no. <laughs> um, Barbara and Rebecca, Barbara uh, responded to an ad in Craigslist and Rebecca drove her. <laughs> and the two of them were, were as a glove that would just fit a hand and uh, just amazing. I think Sean stepped out because I didn't see him stand up, but he came in here and he was undone, just so touched. Pray for him. He's a precious, precious man. And uh, he loves the Lord. And this is hard on all of us, but good. This uh, I received today from Governor Mike Huckabee. Rob, I've been where you are today. Lost my first race. I was shocked, hurt, and disappointed. Really thought I was going to win. But God's purpose, is, purpose was played out in the loss as my detour became the destination. I'm so proud of the race you ran. You energized people and beat the odds throughout the primary. You're probably under the juniper tree like Elijah today. God will come and give you rest and feed you. He isn't finished with you. He's just getting started. Hope to see you soon, my couple. This is from my pastor, Don McClure. Dear Rob, I'm sure that you are heartbroken. Everything you do, you do with all your heart and soul. You were spent and poured out. This was not yours to win, but the Lord's to give if he desired. I will be praying that after some time of rest and restoration of your soul, that you soon again lay all of that passion and commitment at his feet, and we will watch, all watch his perfect will unfold. Spend some time in the Psalms, which we're going to do. The Lord put David through many of these times. I'm with you, my friend. We will be home next week and want to enjoy finding time to be with you. I said, Pastor Don, my devotion for today, and the devotion came in at three in the morning. Didn't rest much last night. This is the devotion. Friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were, to have, uh, were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the suffering of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. Rejoice in our adversity. Embrace the fellowship of his sufferings. This is crazy theology, right? Especially for those who have bought into the subtle notion pervading the American church that suggests our lives ought not to be trouble-free. And if they are not, then there is something wrong, wrong with our faith, wrong with our God, or wrong with us. But this is not the view of our Heavenly Father. I am learning slowly that he is teaching us to embrace our sufferings, to engage our adversity, not in a spirit of despair, but in the hope of his great promise to use our trials to liberate us to the fullness of his resurrection life. In fact, our adversities are, as one writer says, the diamond dust with which heaven polishes its jewels. They are the very thing God is using to rebuild us into the likeness of Christ, so that by sharing in his sufferings, we may also partake in his glory. He loves me and I trust him and I love you, Don, Rob. Uh, I sent that to Shannon. She said, my heart is breaking. And I said, your heart isn't breaking. It's just stretching. <laughs> I'll read one more. Uh, this is uh, from Dane, Dane Shewitt. 
there's at least 20 Channel Island students who care enough of politics now to vote on election day. And that's because you ran for office. They wouldn't stop talking about it yesterday. That will affect them for the rest of their lives. Countless of my friends and acquaintances actually understand now how Jesus and politics aren't mutually exclusive simply because you stepped out in faith. This was never about winning. It was about making a statement and awakening a sleeping giant. I actually believe people will be more awakened now that the election didn't turn out how we thought or hoped. God's given me this image of thousands of Christians, uh, Christians' hearts being convicted because of the outcome. A thousand votes isn't much of a landslide. There are at least that many Christians who could have changed the outcome. That's the most powerful statement of all. And I believe you've made it. So praise the Lord for that. He's going to make so much more good come from the past nine months. I also know that the enemy is fighting hard to keep Jesus out of politics, out of our schools, even off college campuses. I rejoice that we're finally facing actual persecution from the negative ads and attacks against your character to the ban against InterVarsity and other Christian clubs at the CSU campus. It means we're doing something right. God will bring revival on his timing when it will bring him the most glory, Ezekiel 36. So be encouraged, Pastor. One loss now just seems just means a greater victory later, 2 Corinthians 4. God is stirring something up that is so much bigger than an election. I love you, Pastor. And I'm praying for you today. Uh, thank you for reminding me that I have a voice. I will never forget that. Tim Hurd hasn't been the greatest of friends in this election. Uh, he is the political writer for the Star. He wrote an article about the election stating that, uh, that I conceded to Jackie uh, and sent a text rather than a phone call in case she was sleeping. And uh, he goes on to talk about her and the margin of 1,219 votes accounted for two-thirds of her winning margin and Thousand Oaks and how she did well here. Uh, he goes on to speak about her, and then he says the 44th district is seen as among the most competitive in the state, although Democrats hold a slight edge in voter registration. He goes on to say both state parties poured hundreds of thousands of dollars into the race as Irwin and McCoy each raised about $1.7 million for the campaign. In addition, outside interest groups spent more than $600,000, most of it on mailers attacking McCoy. He says, um, for McCoy, the pastor of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Newberry Park, the race was his first foray into politics and he proved to be a formidable campaigner. On Wednesday, reflecting in a text message to the star, I sent it to him. He shared his morning devotional. Friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you, he wrote. Instead, rejoice as you share in the suffering of the Messiah so that you may rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. That God in the star. So, um, this is the beginning. You're here because something's awakened in you. I pondered a passage of what to share tonight, wondering who would come, not realizing all of you would be here. <laughs> There's a, we're going through the life of David, and I, I'm limited on time, obviously. I don't want to keep you all night, so I'm going to keep the message brief. 
But in 1 Samuel 21, it is a critical time in David's life. You see, David has slain Goliath. He was outnumbered, outmanned, outarmored, out-everything, outsized, and outcast. And he walked into the Valley of Elah with nothing more than a sling. He took down a nine-foot, ten-inch giant who was covered from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet in armor. The giant declared that he would remove his head from him and feed his carcass to the birds of the air. And David said, this day I will remove your head from your carcass and feed your carcass to the birds of the air that everyone, in heaven, everyone will know that there's a God in heaven and he rules and reigns. Goliath was infuriated and began to run after David. Goliath was familiar with when he began to run, people would run the opposite direction, not David. He saw Goliath running and he ran towards him was simply a sling. And with that sling, declaring the three names of God, he, he uh, invoked the name, the Lord of hosts, David declaring that angels surrounded him. David invoked Jehovah or Yahweh, which is God's personal name that's always con contained with an attribute, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tizdekanu, which means I will be for you whatever you need when you need it. And David knew that and ran out and then David also invoked the third name, the living God. He knew that his God didn't have to be carted out on a, a wagon as Dagon, the Philistine God, did. And Goliath of Gath began to run to David, and David ran to Goliath of Gath, never calling him a giant, never calling him Goliath by name, never calling him a champion. David called him a reproach, a defier of the armies of Israel, an uncircumcised Philistine. And with the faith in God, he let that sling go, and the giant was felled by one stone. David approached, realizing he had declared he cut off Goliath's head, knowing all he had was a sling. He had to remove this massive sword from the sheath of Goliath and then proceed to cut through the entrails and the bone matter of Goliath's neck, a nine-foot, ten-inch giant. That's not, that's not easy. And as he lifted that head, all of Israel began to swarm into the Elah Valley and annihilate the Philistines and push them out because the passage begins in 1 Samuel 21, as, or 1 Samuel 17, excuse me, by saying that they were in the Valley of Elah in Soho, which belongs to Judah. And I've said this thousands of times that we think this is a story on how to defeat a giant, but it's not. It's a story on how content God's people are to allow Satan to occupy territory that rightfully belongs to God. I can think of some very large churches in our community that had they just been willing to pray for me in front of their congregation, this election would be far closer. But I, it's, it's said to me, and that's not, a dis, uh, that's not a mean comment because it's been said to me that you can't serve both God and mammon as though somehow I'm gonna be serving two gods. I'm not serving two gods. I was planning on serving one God in two places. And when we declare this idea that, that somehow serving in government is serving mammon, why is it that our churches are silent because they're afraid of losing their tax-exempt status? That strikes me as mammon. And this church right here is fearless. When the chairman of the Democratic Party of Ventura County decried that we need to lose our tax-exempt status as a result of what I've done, people came up to me in droves saying, it doesn't matter, we'll just give more. Some of you are going, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> But does money move us? 
because that would be mammon. And as, and as this battle is being defined, and as this nation, as we're watching the foundations destroyed, not only would someone not pray for a brother who asked for prayer, who is a pastor, they wouldn't even so much as light a candle as we watch the foundations crumble. Not here. We'll pray for any candidate. I commend them for running for office. I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican or independent or they're for me or against me. We will pray for you. You are in the arena. And I, I, I know that this is sending a shockwave across the country because it's awakening the church to the responsibility that we are the salt which penetrates and the light which radiates. And why can we not do that as Christian representatives in our government? I've said this to you a lot. Do you think that the no-fault divorce and, and being the number one abortion state in the, in the country and the author of the transgender bathroom bill, which is just poorly written, even if you're transgender, it's a poorly written bill because it leaves it up to the kids to decide instead of a it, Awful legislation. The, the burdens upon our citizenry and the taxation and all the misery that we're facing as everyone's leaving the state. The question is, were those laws written by Christians? Yes, they were, who didn't get involved. We must engage the culture. And when you see Dane shoe it, and Zach, and all of the young folks that have gone through Constitution 101 through Hillsdale College to grasp the concept of this gift we've been given of a representative form of government established with this idea of religious liberty that has slipped through our fingers, this foundation, this heritage we've been given, we cannot remain silent. But as you rise up to face the, the monumental giants of the land, and we had a victory and it seemed as though Goliath fell. And momentum was with us. But then all of a sudden, you realize Saul's pretty big. And he doesn't need the competition. And all hell breaks loose and they send down every minion you can imagine. And they walk the streets and they pulled the signs. And they, they paid $16.50 an hour for anyone who would walk. And they brought in busloads to pack out the forum uh, of the CLU debate forum. Folks descending from around the state trying to intimidate the citizenry of the 44th district. And it was, it was formidable. And they, they uh, uh, mailer after mailer, and every time you turned on the internet, that picture of me and G Governor Perry, it was so bad people thought it was photoshopped. It was real. That's me, baby. And then they would decry as though it was some sort of a, um, an attack to say that he is a staunch defender of the unborn, as though that's an attack ad. And this is a, rent, a referendum for the unborn. This is the church. Where are they? We have the lowest voter turnout in the history of Ventura County. Where are the Christians? Where are they? They're right here. And they're moving. And we don't despise a day of small beginnings. This is igniting the community. They will stand without excuse. You're ruffling feathers. You're frustrating people. Keep it up. Yeah. Now I want to say something. 
I'm not, I'm not backtracking on my theological position. But I want to tell you, a large labor of love came from our, our brothers and sisters of faith in the LDS church. Now, I will stand and testify. Theologically, we are different. I, I, I tell President Jordan and President Olson, I say, you have three heavens and no hell. I got a heaven and a hell. I have a tougher cell. <laughs> and I, and I'm, I'm attacked for that from the church. You have to understand, there's 500,000 people in this district. We were given religious liberty, not tolerance. And if we run a campaign, we either stand together or we fall apart. That means you have to endeavor to understand. It doesn't mean you have to agree. It means you have to serve, love. If you want to make this about your church and, 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 and applying your theology that no one else has allowed, we'll never achieve anything. We serve one another in love. That's the beauty of this government, that we can have civic understanding, concentric circles to come to an understanding and endeavor to find that. And so I even think of the support from the Orthodox community of, of, our, of our Jewish brothers and sisters of faith in the Reform community, in the conservative community. They stood with us. I was in... My, my Catholic brothers and sisters, the same. They stood with us. I was in Oxnard the day before the election, surrounded by, I think, about 18 pastors. Brett, David Dumovich, Bud, myself were there. We're, we're the only four white guys. You're an independent, right? So there was only three Republicans. The 18 pastors were either black, Hispanic, or Filipino. And they were all Democrats. And they called down heaven. And they beseeched God. The Filipino community in Oxnard came out in droves. The majority are Catholic. The majority are Democrats. They love the Lord. We're moved by this understanding that this nation is different than any other nation we've ever had the privilege of being a part of. And you know what happened to us as a church? Your hearts were stretched. Your vision grew. You started to love people you'd never met before. I walked into 150 homes I've never stepped foot in before, with the exception of a few. You labored side by side with agnostics and atheists, Democrats, Catholics, Mormons, Jews, Christians. I would say Protestants. Some of you didn't realize there was a transgender person working in our campaign. Some of you didn't realize that there were people struggling with their sexuality in our campaign. They may be struggling, but they all agree that something's broken and something is special about this campaign and they wanted to be a part of it. And every person they met loved them. When you knocked on a door, you did it with joy. When you made a phone call, you did it with politeness and civility. You realize that there's people out there that need to be loved. Your hearts were stretched and touched in ways you never could have imagined. This is what God's called us to. We tend to become very closed in the four walls of a building. I stood side by side with a black Democrat pastor whose son was shot 13 times by three white Alameda police officers. And in his childhood, when he was a teen, he was left for dead having been beat up by a gang of whites. 
I was raised in Coronado. I was a marshmallow raised in milk. And he was the first to call me and tell me, I love you. I'm proud of you. It's going to be all right. Rob, you've touched my life. I couldn't tell him. I, 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 I just tried to tell him how much he's touched mine. We had pastors praying and we needed interpreters in Spanish and then back into English, weeping before the throne of God. If that doesn't look like revival, I don't know what does. This is what the church is about. And when David had found himself in a great victory, all of a sudden all hell broke loose as Saul came down like the hordes from Sacramento. And he ran for his life and he went into into the camp of the Philistines. He went to Gath. He went to the hometown of Goliath, the man he killed. He feigned madness before Ahimelech. He feigned madness before the king, but before he ran, he ended up in a town called Nob. And he came to the high priest Ahimelech, and Ahimelech says, why are you here? And David lied to him. He was scared. And I got, I got to tell you, we had threats. We had awful... I just showed Michelle one of the pictures. They had a picture of our family with devil's heads on it. The things we've received, endless things that we've received. And, and it's, you get, there's, there's fear, there's fright. And as these things started to under, undergo, we, we would lay awake, we'd pray, we'd, we'd wonder, we'd, and, and a myriad of emotions. And through the process of it, you begin to get scared. And David just tried to fend for himself, and he said, I, I don't have any food. I don't have any weaponry. And Ahimelech said, well, you can take the sword of Goliath. It's right there. You see, David, the pressure in David's life had become so great that he had misplaced his sling that, that was used to kill a giant. He didn't know who he was anymore in the fear. And, um, and then he's brought face to face with the sword of his enemy and reminded David, you did that with that sword. You took his head off. That sword never touched you. It touched Goliath. David was still afraid. And he ran and, 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 and went down to Gath. And while he was there, uh, Doag, the Edomite, told Saul what Ahimelech had done. And Saul came and killed Ahimelech and all the priests. David realized that his actions had hurt all those people. I think the hardest thing for me last night, why did it mean so much? Because I felt as though I'd hurt you. It's the enemy. I know that. But that's how he plays with you, he messes with you. And David fled down to the camp of the enemy. And while he was there, he heard the song, Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. And the enemy was even invoking the hit tune that everyone was singing. As though, who is this man? I thought they sang praises about him. Why is he coming down here and feigning madness? David had lost his identity. He'd, mis he'd misplaced his sling. And in the midst of that, the priest didn't even want him there because David just couldn't handle it anymore. And I love what happens here. And I, I look at it right now. Today was a rough day. I wanted to run. 
I wanted to just hide. I wanted Zach to preach. And I love what it says in the next chapter, in 22. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Isn't it amazing when we're overwhelmed, we want to go get in a hole? I don't want to talk to anybody. In the text, but every text was loving and well-meaning and every email, every phone call. But you know that each person needs to be touched. And I just wanted to be in a cave. And the description of the cave as best as I could come up with, means empty rocky cave. That's what Agilent means. Just a place to hide. From the vantage point, and I've been there, of the cave of Agilent, you can see the Valley of Elah. David could see where he had his greatest victory while he hid in the cave. And while he's there wanting to be alone, Much like me. Just wanted to go home and have a quiet dinner with my family. I walk in and all of you are here. <laughs> the passage, fittingly enough, reads, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And so when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. <laughs> but that's not all. And everyone who was distressed, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. There were about 400 of them with him. They were, in, they were indebted, distressed, and discontented. I think the fervency of the campaign is a result of all of us living under the oppression of the Saul of Sacramento. We're indebted, we're discontented, we're distressed. We just can't do it anymore. And you gather here in this cave that I wanted to be alone in. There were four psalms that David wrote in that cave. Psalm 142, Psalm 34, Psalm 56, and Psalm 57. They're called the Psalms of the Caveman. Music that he would sing. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. In the shadow of your wings I will take my refuge until these calamities have passed by. I'll cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me, and he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. He begins to sing. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Psalm 142, attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. 
when my spirit was overwhelmed within me. Then you knew my path and the way in which I walk. They have secretly set a snare for me. He says, bring my soul out of prison. The righteous shall surround me for you shall deal bountifully with me, O God. Psalm 56, he wrote in the cave, be merciful to me, O God, for a man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? You see, in the cave... The indebted, the distressed, and the discontented were strengthened. And what's fascinating about the 400 who gathered to David is that these 400 men talked a lot of politics. Have you seen the lentil prices? Have you seen the taxation upon the citizenry? Do you know why I'm in debt, David? Do you know what's happened to my business? Do you know how I'm struggling? I'm discontented. The king has forced upon us things that are too overwhelming. I'm distressed. I don't know if I'm going to go another day. I don't know where else I'm going to go. They own all the water rights. And politics were declared. And the 400 men in that cave who were indebted, distressed, and discontented began to formulate what would be the beginnings of the greatest government Israel would ever see. It was a kitchen cabinet. Their hearts were stirred and the nation was changed in the cave of Adullam. I say this, of the 400 men, a handful would become David's mighty men. And one who was in that cave that day was Shema. And he would stand strong and keep the Philistines out of his bean patch. And here we're in the cave. It's not just the elderly, it's the young. And we're all indebted. They were born in with almost $60,000 of debt and they don't even realize it. $17 trillion in debt we are. We're all distressed, we're all indebted, we're all discontented. But none of us are apathetic. We're in the cave. We found strength. When I walked in and I heard you worshiping God. This is the beginning of something big. We didn't lose. We just figured out a new way how not to win. <laughs> Amen. We're more than conquerors. We fight from victory, not for it. And what you don't realize, and the secret that David knew, and it came back to him in the cave, and I found it again tonight, is the battle wasn't against David and Goliath. The battle was against Goliath and God. All God wants are instruments. He'll do the rest. So we're going to leave this cave and we're going to take back our bean patch. Yeah.
and I got nothing else to say. Would you stand and I want to pray with you? Let's hold a hand. You don't have to cross. Well, if you want to cross the aisles, it's up to you, but I don't want anybody tripping. Come on, you're in the cave together. Get cozy. That's all right. They'll come to you. That's all right. Lord, thank you. Times in your life where you just realize how amazing you are. God, you who began a good work, you're faithful to complete it. We have not been defeated. We're only getting started. So Lord, by your spirit in this cave of Adullam, would you fill and empower every man, woman, child with your spirit to declare that today begins revival. The church will awaken and this nation will be empowered by instruments in the hands of a living God. We declare ourselves available for your use and we're open for business. Lord, bless them, empower them, and strengthen them. When I say them, I include me. And we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.